Hi. Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we chat with Derek Taylor, our daily check-in for Blue Bombers training camp. Asterisk, because there, there isn't a training camp right now. So we'll talk about everything that isn't happening in the CFL and also preview the Battle of Alberta. We got the Edmonton side on Monday. We got the Calgary side today with Pat Steinberg of Sportsnet Radio in Calgary. That's all coming up on the podcast. We would be on day three of CFL training camps, talking about the goings-on at camp, but uh, Voice of the Bombers' Derek Taylor joins us now, and still not uh, not much to report on the whole CBA front, is there? You, we would love any sort of news whenever somebody, you know, I am talking to somebody. Oh, are they talking? Are they going to talk? No, they, they're, there's nothing. There's unfortunately nothing to report, pardon me, uh, between the two sides. Uh, they just go on existing and we go on waiting. Now, you heard the weather forecast uh, for the next few days and, and you look outside. This wouldn't have been a great time for you to be outside but i'm sure you'd much rather be out there covering training camp than indoors not covering training camp oh yeah absolutely i could put on my rubber boots and my waterproof jacket and and try to figure out how to keep my phone from getting too terribly wet yeah th- this is the, this is the time of year right this is what we all kind of geared up for you know some sometime in april i start getting everything ready for okay well who's this guy and what does this team look like and how do the nine depth charts all spell out right now and Trying to anticipate what weird things Chris Jones might do in Edmonton. Uh, but yeah, now it's all kind of hurry up and wait and wait to see if that first preseason game uh, ends up going away. Well, and that's, I guess, the, the most immediate thing now is that w- the report from Dave Naylor, as we talked about yesterday, that maybe we'll find out by tomorrow if the Monday tra- uh, preseason game in Saskatchewan will even happen. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, that just makes perfect sense, right? Wednesday, oh, if you're not in camp on Wednesday, you would only have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, S- Sunday. Sunday would be a, a walk-through travel day Yee, to get your, your young guys ready when they've had literally, you know, a camp and then three days worth of rookie camp to get ready. It, it would be a shame. Uh, it would put the, you know, the Bombers and the Riders maybe a little bit behind the rest of the teams if something does get going, but... I mean, what, uh, apart from, you know, hopes and believing, you know, just believing in the stars, what, 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 where are we on these, te- these two sides ever getting together and us actually having camp? So, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I'm more bleak than I was yesterday. This is odd. Oh, I didn't know this was coming. <laughs> well, we haven't had, you know, not even anything today. We haven't had people saying, hey, we're waiting for the other side. We're, you know, there's been almost no, public dialogue today uh we did hear from our colleagues in edmonton and calgary yeah. about the, the practicing that's going to continue tomorrow we thought that that mean that's when they'd be able to legally strike derek dennis who's very active on twitter lineman for calgary said they they're not actually able to strike until thursday or friday and yeah. uh, david beard player rep for the elks told our friends at Ched quote, as far as I understand, the PA is waiting to get back to the table. We are ready and poised to do that. So as you well, look at it, Derek, looking at the, the optics of, of practicing while the, uh, the rest of the league is not obviously they have to be because of the way labor laws are in Alberta. But how, how do you think the players feel out West knowing that 
they're the only ones right now on the field. Yeah, I I suspect I suspect you know like the bombers, the guys who are all practicing together down at the university, aren't in love with the fact that say Calgary and Edmonton can be training. I think it's interesting that uh, we thought they'd be in a strike position as of tomorrow, but uh, from what I'm told, the PA didn't get its paperwork done in time. And I'm like, oh wow, you didn't that that didn't come to you as that'd be a super important thing to do to make sure that all nine teams are together on this. I, I suspect that you know if if there's somehow there's a resolution before Calgary and Edmonton uh, do join the strike, some people are going to be mad about that. But you know Edmonton does not look like a real good team so far this year. Calgary, who who knows? I, I think if if their quarterback is right, they're going to be really really good. Teams aren't going to be happy with it, but I think it'll fade after a couple of days because there is still there's still a real long runway between now and the beginning of the regular season, right? We're talking uh, June 9th, so uh, there'll be some initial, you know, we'll 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 prod them with the questions. Hey, what do you think being five days behind the Stampeders, a team that you probably battle with, and and they'll answer it. But I, ultimately, I don't think it will matter too terribly much. Now let's stick in Edmonton here because some some news today out of Edmonton that uh, Tavon Smith, Canadian receiver, was released by Chris Jones. This come as a surprise to you? Uh, I was I was absolutely shocked, honestly. After the nineteen season, uh, Tavon Smith was really good. I think he had six touchdowns that year, and I, and I looked at him and I thought, okay, well, going into twenty twenty, Tavon Smith is going to be in that group with guys like Lamar Durant and Dembski and of the elite Canadian receivers in the league. And then, uh, you know, 2021 wasn't Smith's year. He was shoved out to that that wide side, wide receiver spot. And Edmonton's passing offense was just awful, just so awful on so many levels that he didn't have a chance. All these Canadians, like, I, what is, I'm just, I'm fascinated with Chris Jones, the general manager, trading, Two Canadian starters for, or, or two Canadian roster players, including one starting left tackle, for you know to move up in the draft. And this is Tavon Smith. I mean, a guy with a couple of years' experience and a lot of skill at this level. Who honestly, I, I think is going to get going to have more than a couple offers to to join another team. He's out the door. Well, uh, uh, who are you going to run at receiver? Right, you're, you're Chris Jones. You're almost certainly going to go very heavy. American on defense, which means you need to be very heavy Canadian on offense, and yet you're punting a starting wide receiver and a, a starting left tackle on the span of a couple weeks. I I was I was shocked at this move because I, I still think I think Tavon Smith has a ton to give, and and I think he's going to give it to to some other team maybe in the West perhaps. Twenty eight years old, uh, first round pick in twenty sixteen. And he had six touchdowns and 200, 632 yards in 2019. Kenny Lawler, by the way, is apparently stranded right now in the U.S. He had car trouble in Montana, but is is going to be here soon, according to Chris Jones, who th- this is the difference now as well in Edmonton and Calgary. They're, they're still having media scrums. They're still the media. They're able to talk to players and the coaches because they're not a part of the strike right now. Whereas we here in Winnipeg or any other CFL market, we're just yeah. sitting here waiting for news to happen so we can talk to people. Yeah, absolutely. Adam Big Hill's been fantastic, right? The Bombers player yeah. rep slash the vice president of the CFLP, the third vice president. Uh, but yeah, we're just we're you know we could go down to uh, the stadium and you know press the guys, but I just 
I feel like that's kind of uncomfortable. They, we know they don't really want to talk. Uh, Jake Thomas was nice enough to say hi to me when I was, I was there yesterday, but that was, I mean, that was about it. I was, wasn't going to press him for anything because, you know, they want to, they want to stay quiet and it's, you know, I'd love to know a little more about what they're all thinking, but you know, you respect their, you respect their position and respect their, their business. Uh, Antoine Pruno was the Ottawa Red Blacks player rep. Uh, if you haven't seen his article, he did a, he did something with Tim Baines of the sun. Oh, he has some inflammatories. It's it's pretty good. Antoine Bruno uh, dishing out the hits to the uh, to the ownership group the way he dishes them out in that defensive backfield. But yeah, we were just we just want anything, right? We're we're fans just kind of waiting for any sort of information, any inkling, anything. Hey, they're gonna the the ownerships are gonna meet with the mediator. The players are gonna meet with the mediator. Solomon Elamimi and Randy Ambrosi are gonna arm wrestle. Just give me something. Just, just give me anything to uh, grab onto, uh, because other than that, we're talking about wow! I can't believe Chris Jones is tossing guys out the club like this. It's crazy. Well, and, and on that note too, Trey Ford, first round quarterback selection, told media he's getting it on special teams in Edmonton. That's, I mean, I guess that's a way to have him contribute. I mean, the it's going to be interesting. Uh, Morley Scott, our colleague in Chad had reported that on day one that Taylor Cornelius was the number one quarterback in drills and that uh, that Nick Arbuckle, the, the much maligned in the last couple of years, Nick Arbuckle was the number two quarterback. And I just thought that's that's perfection. That's just exactly what we all expected with the let's take the big armed running quarterback to get in there. And uh, I, I, I kind of wonder, I know every time I come on the show with you, I feel like I got to go back and do some research. I need to know what Chris Jones' deal with Canadians is and if it's just something I perceive or it's something real. I know he has a problem. He's had a problem because I've talked to guys uh, who, you know, have a loud voice and speak up in the locker room. There was the part of a, a culling or two in Saskatchewan during his time there. But I, I wonder what his deal is with the Canadians or just he has strong beliefs that, hey, Canadians are deployed like this and that's all because yeah, it's it's shocking. The that special teams news. I hadn't heard that. That's, that's disappointing for Trey Ford because that guy uh, deserves a chance to be a quarterback in this league. And they drafted him high enough that, Hey, make him, make him be a quarterback. Let him, let him do quarterback things because uh, yeah, Taylor Cornelius lobbing, lobbing cannonballs across the line of scrimmage ain't the answer. To Hamilton now where they held a, uh, mm. what do you call it? A, a union solidarity gathering, I guess. For, yeah, uh, that's probably Cats, best. And they had fans there and they had other unions show up as they uh, had a public display. We, you know, we heard from Big Hill yesterday talk about maybe the fans would be asked to come as the Bombers picketed. Uh, they decided to, to, to not do that. So that's not a thing that'll happen here. But uh, what do you think of what we saw in Hamilton today? I think it was nice. I think ultimately when you see the pictures that the CFLPA uh, retweeted and the ones that fans put out, it did not look like it was really that big. Uh, I thought I counted like 50 players in that one photo. It didn't seem like an overwhelming, you know, outpouring of support from the fans. But it's, I mean, it's a good idea. You, you're going to need fans on your side if you're the players. And I mean, after your your morning practice, what do you really got to do? I mean, you've, the team's putting you up in a hotel and or in a residence, and you you have uh, food provided, but. Your, your day could be kind of boring other than the 90 minutes, two hours that you're doing kind of drills with your teammates. So 
I think it was nice. I don't think it was enough to draw any sort of attention from the Canadian Football League, the owners, and, and the league itself, because it wasn't uh, th there wasn't a uh, a chopper shot or a drone shot of a thousand people all hugging Simone Lawrence and Dane Evans. But it's it's a good start. It's it's a good start for the uh, the Thai Cats, and yeah, anything you can do to encourage the fans to get on your side is uh, it's almost certainly going to help in this. Hamilton Spectator reporting 65 Tiger Cats were at nice. the rally today. So a, a good number there. So I guess as we uh, put a bow on this chat, Derek, really, we're just in a waiting game with everyone else, not even waiting for a, a deal, but at the moment waiting for them to start talking again. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. When, when are they going to start talking again? Because uh, you mentioned Dave Naylor's report that tomorrow is kind of the the do or die uh, date for the the Monday exhibition game. Well, what about the Friday one? What about what about what about? So yeah, when when will they start talking? And it's it's only day three, so they've taken the little cooling off period. But uh, we're gonna start hearing more from more from fans uh, as we go along because uh, yeah, we're 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 gonna need some progress, or else are we gonna you know what is the Bombers' defense of its back to back Grey Cups going to look like? Also tomorrow night, game number one, Battle of Alberta in Calgary between the Flames and the Oilers. We go there now, and Pat Steinberg of Sportsnet Radio in Calgary. Uh, Pat, how excited is the city the night before the return of the Battle of Alberta? I would say that uh, it's pretty fired up. Uh, it's, uh, it's crazy, man. It's been 31 years since these two teams have met in a playoff series and it's been kind of three decades of not much good to talk about when it comes to these two franchises. Like they've had their, they've had very few defining moments since they last met in the playoff series. Each team has gotten to a Stanley Cup final once and lost in Game Seven. They've had kind of sporadic playoff appearances here and there. Um, they've each drafted uh they've each traded away generational or, or franchise players you know ryan smith's tenure came to an end in edmonton jerome gimla's tenure came to an end here they both have added you know pretty generational players obviously edmonton with the the two and mcdavid and drysaddle and we're seeing what johnny gaudreau is is capable of and, and he's taken his claim to be the same type of player in calgary but yeah, I, 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 it's it's pretty fired up city and uh, they've been doing the uh, similar to, to what they've done in Winnipeg the last time the Jets went deep in the playoffs and um, and what they're doing in Edmonton or Maple Leaf Square in Toronto. But uh, they've got the they've got this red lot outside uh, outside the Saddle Dome and it's sold out and ready to go. And uh, they, they they've got they've got bars that are as as jacked up and ready to go. And uh, resale values are. Like you're talking about $500 for nosebleeds on Wednesday night and Friday night, and then it goes up from there if you want to get into the two, the, the first or second bowl. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty fired up, and I'm excited for it. Like, for everybody who covers the team, save for, like, one or two people, nobody has covered a playoff series between these two teams before, and we don't know what to expect. We've never done it in the age of social media before. We've never done it in the age of, of immediacy like it is now. It's going to be fascinating, and I'm, uh, I'm really excited for Wednesday night. I, I, the atmosphere is going to be the best part, I think. Absolutely. And 
it looked for a while like we might not get it with both the Oilers and Flames needing seven games to win series that I think most people thought wouldn't take them seven games to win. Oilers had to come from a 3-2 deficit, and the Flames survived a, a Herculean effort from Stars goalie Jake Ottinger to win Game 7. What was the feeling in the building in Game 7 as that one wore along and the, flame, or the Flames just trying to get anything past Ottinger? Was there a feeling of, oh, my God, we're just we're going to get goalie tonight and it's over? Yes, and and at the same time, no. And what I mean by that is I think everybody who was in that building was feeling that way. And it was a tense atmosphere until until about overtime started. And and once overtime started, it was incredible because the entire building just started standing and, and the building was uh, the building was on their feet from minute one to minute 15 until they scored the overtime winner on Ottinger. And I was amazed as to how engaged the Flames fans stayed because I was, I, I'm not a fan. I'm just covering the game and I was nervous and you're living and dying on, on every shot. And Dallas was still spending 75, 80% of the time defending in their own zone. And yet they kept getting these one or two opportunities. Joe Pavelski had two great chances. They had a three-on-one opportunity that almost popped. And, and you thought that one of those opportunities was going to beat Markstrom and, and be the end for the Flames. And they were going to lose this game when they set a franchise record for shots on goal in a game. But uh, I, I give Flames fans credit. And I don't know if it was uh, some liquid courage or I don't know if it was just straight up the fact that, that they believed in their team or whatever it was, but Flames fans stuck with it. And that building was more juiced in overtime than it was in the second or the third period. And for a game seven where a team could get upset in epic fashion by a goaltender, as you put it, um, putting together a Herculean effort uh, for that to happen or for the possibility of that happening uh, for the building to stay as, as fired up as it did was pretty impressive. And then the, I was, uh, so, so I, I watch about 90% of the game in the press box. And then I go downstairs at one of the last two commercial breaks in the third period and, and get ready in our broadcast studio to do our post game show downstairs. And so I was, I was kind of, I made sure to be out right in the middle of the, of the crowd of the, the sea of red, as we call it here. And, and, uh, the, the reaction and the atmosphere and the elation when Johnny Gaudreau scored that goal at 1509, it was insane. It was a, it was a pretty cool moment to be a part of. And I give flames fans credit for never, like never letting the nervousness of which they should have been feeling actually kind of permeate into the atmosphere. It was, uh, it was fun. And it was, uh, it was one of those moments that I think flames fans will, remember for a long time. And part of that, Christian, is what we talked about earlier. There's been so few defining moments over the last 30-plus yeah. years of this organization. That one, Flames fans are not going to forget for a long time. Well, you know, there's the 2015 surprise win over the Vancouver Canucks in round one. They, And other than that, since they went to the cup final, that's literally it for playoff series wins. And so yeah. there's been su- such little... Uh, in terms of, you know, happy, joyous moments. There's been disappointments lately with the, the giant flame out to the avalanche in 2019 being the, the real defining moment, I think, of this kind of this group of players with Johnny Goudreau and the like. But with Daryl Sutter in charge, the guy who, of course, was the coach in 04 when they made the cup final, 
how different has it been for this group under Daryl Sutter? How much of a difference has he made for this crew? Like we use the term night and day a lot, but it applies here. They are a completely different group under Sutter than they were in, in previous incarnations of this same core group of players. And this core group of players consists of Johnny Gaudreau, Elias Lindholm, Matthew Kachuk, uh, Noah Hannafin, Rasmus Anderson, Michael Backlund. Uh, those would be the six guys that have been kind of core members. You can throw Andrew Mangiapane in now that he's a 30-plus goal scorer. Uh, but those have kind of been the six, seven guys that have been the core of this team since that, as you mentioned, that, that disappointment in 2019 when they went out in five games to Colorado. And that coach was Bill Peters. Um, and they, did, they, they just were not prepared to deal with adversity in round one. And, I, and I'm not even putting that on the coach. I think just as a team, as a group, they weren't prepared. Then the bubble hits, well, before the bubble hits and before the pandemic starts, Bill Peters and the Flames go their separate ways after the racism scandal and Jeff Ward takes over. Then we have the four-month pause. They're in the bubble against the Dallas Stars. And again, a couple of moments of real immaturity and, and not being able to handle moments as they came and, and most notably game six and out they go. And the following year, the, the 56-game season, it was just a nightmare under Jeff Ward. Daryl Sutter came in, and you could tell right from the get-go that there was a different brand of hockey this team was going to play. And they only went 15-15 and 15 in the 30 games that Daryl Sutter coached last season, but you could tell what he was going for. And that's why I think there was significant optimism coming into this season that this team would be better than what they were. That said, I don't think anybody saw them running away with the Pacific Division. I don't think anybody saw them being a top five or six team in the NHL so quickly. But the foundation that he laid and the buy-in that he got from his players immediately and his best players immediately uh, to start this season, going back to last year where the, the foundation was started to be laid, it was, it was incredible. And you could tell from puck drop on night one in October against the Edmonton Oilers in Edmonton that it was a different group. They lost that game. They lost it fairly convincingly, but they were the significantly better team at five on five. And you could just tell that there was a new way of playing that this group had bought into and they, they've carried it through. And, and the other thing that is night and day on top of their five on five game is their ability to respond and their ability to deal with in-game or game-to-game adversity. The most they ever lost in a row this year was four, and that happened once. And there were so many times when prior incarnations of this core would just fold like a cheap tent uh, in, in the face of the slightest adversity in, in a game. You know, a, a bad goal or a, a late goal in a period or an early goal in a period. And so many times during the regular season, it didn't phase him. And so many times in this first round series against Dallas, it didn't phase him. And most notably, game seven, where despite putting 67 shots on goal, they never once held a lead in game seven. They got scored on 40 seconds into the game. Then they tied the game. And 31 seconds later, they were back down a goal and they stuck with it the entire time. And I just don't know if prior versions of the Calgary Flames and this core group would have been able to do that. I think they would have 
uh, they would have buckled under the pressure or buckled under the adversity, and they didn't. And so those are the two areas where I think when, when we talk about how different they are under Daryl Sutter as opposed to prior coaches, those are the two areas that stick out the most. And I think you could make the same argument about the Oilers, Pat, where they're down 3-2 to the Kings in a series that most people thought they would win. They're on the road. They don't have Darnell Nurse. They find a way to get it done, and then they completely dominate Game 7 uh, on home ice. And so you've got these two teams that have both been, as you've mentioned, not super great in the playoffs over the last 30 years, and they're going to meet starting tomorrow night. What do you see as the biggest X factor between the two this series? Well, I mean, it's it's going to be like, okay, here's some cutting-edge analysis when I talk about Connor McDavid, but the 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 two things that the, the the two games that Connor McDavid played with Edmonton season on the line were monumental narrative shifts for that guy. Like the the narrative here in Alberta, uh, especially in Calgary, but I even think in in some corners in Edmonton. And I've got a I've got a lot of friends who who live in that market. Like the the narrative has been Connor can't get it done in the playoffs, regardless of the points that he's put up in the playoffs. You know, the, the overall game, how the game changes in the playoffs, Connor can't respond. He's not as an effective player. He can't take a team on his back and get them to where they want to go. Well, that narrative is dead and buried after what you saw in Game 6 and Game 7 because against the Kings, you mentioned no nurse in Game 6, and they were in a similar spot in Game 7 where they were having a lot of trouble converting on chances and they couldn't seem to buy a goal. And while they, they wasn't an overtime situation, it was only one nothing for the longest period of time until McDavid put the team on his back and scored that unbelievable goal uh, on that individual effort. And so I, I think that is the biggest X factor for me is the difference that we're seeing in Connor McDavid. We had uh, Jack Michaels, the radio voice of the Oilers, on our show in Calgary earlier today, and he said game six and game seven were kind of the, the turning points of McDavid's tenure in Edmonton. And, and I don't, it, it's tough to argue. Now, if you, if you, a couple of other kind of less obvious um, X factors. Evander Kane has been a Calgary Flames killer in his career, specifically in his time as a member of the San Jose Sharks. The guy just torched the Calgary Flames in head-to-head matchups. So, and Evander Kane has been a big-time X factor since joining Edmonton. He has been a huge, huge part of kind of pushing them to a new level. But the, the, the maybe the biggest X factor to me in this series is the health and therefore the performance of Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Because I, I see there's two players on either team that we talk all about the big names, right? In Edmonton, it's all about McDavid and Drysaddle. In Calgary, it's all about the line of Lindholm, Gaudreau, and Kachuk. So we know what you're going to get from those guys. Sometimes they'll be dominant. Sometimes just the way a game goes, they'll be neutralized. But there's two guys on either side that when they're on their games – each team is significantly harder to beat, and each team is at a completely different level. In Calgary, it's Michael Backlund. When he is a two-way force, he is always responsible defensively. You always know he's going to be great in a shutdown role, but when he is at his two-way best and when he is impacting things at the offensive end of the ice, like he did in Game 4, 5, 6, and 7 of of the Dallas series, the Flames are a different hockey team. And him turning into that guy was a big reason why Calgary won three of the last four games of the series. And in Edmonton, that guy is Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And I watched every single game of that series. And, and I, and, and I know that 
my colleagues in Edmonton think the same way. He was a little conspicuous in his absence in that series, especially as it went along. And remember when the Oilers were going through that brutal stretch, one of the main things, yes, there was a coaching change in there, but one of the main things that turned it around was Ryan Nugent Hopkins returning to the lineup. And he's the same way. When he is a two-way force, whether he's playing the wing with Dreisaitl or McDavid or whether he's centering his own line, that guy turns the Oilers into a team that is dangerous to a really good, more complete hockey team. So those are the two guys that I'm watching on either side. Can they be two-way impact makers? Can they do those subtle things? Can they be detailed drivers? And if the answer is yes on one side, then I really like that team's chances of winning, especially if the answer is no on the other side. Well, it should be a lot of fun, Pat. We'll be watching from here and uh, have a blast covering the series because it could be uh, one for the ages. Yeah, I am looking forward to it. I, uh, I've never done it before. I don't know what to expect, but I'm ready and I'm excited. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn